much for joining us. This is Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. I'm a clinical psychologist, leadership consultant, and a really big fan of you getting to fulfill your life purpose. I want you to get unstuck and unlock your potential relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and vocationally. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Welcome to Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. In this episode, we're going to talk about the psychodynamic triangle. You don't need to know the terms, and I'm sure there's lots of overlaps with other models, but it is something very practical that I use on myself and all of my clients to help just create a really practical visual to help unpack some of our frustrating symptoms that we can't get away from just by willpower alone. Rather, we need to unpack and start to clean out the source of where it's coming from. So I'm going to start by sharing a story. And again, a lot of the stories I choose are because they're very prevalent and I'm kind of disguising some of the facts and genders and situations just to protect autonomy of the client, but also because it's so prevalent that it's really easy to, you know, kind of share details in a way that's really universal because it happens so often. And these tend to be really common experiences for a lot of people. So I'm going to tell you about Tom and Tom is a CEO. He is a leader of a corporation and he is a self-made man. He came from nowhere and he became very successful. And along the way, he became more and more stressed, started having more and more burnout. And finally, he came to my office for leadership consulting because of just chronic anxiety that was sabotaging his leadership. What he didn't realize is how much his irritability and anxiety was actually becoming very toxic anger in his workplace. And as a leader, he wasn't able to get all the feedback he needed because many of those who worked for him were kind of afraid and on edge, worried about what response and what reaction they were going to get from him. Sometimes he would be chill and it would be okay to give him feedback or tell him something wasn't working. And then sometimes it would just set him off and they had a hard time knowing which version they were going to get. He saw himself as moral, a man of faith, um, very devoted to his family and his church and community and all of that. And that's who he is. And with his home life, it, it wasn't as evident, but at work, he just had a lot of anxiety. And so I started taking him through the psychodynamic triangle. So at the top of the triangle, if you want to write it for yourself, as we're kind of going through this vignette together at the top, you're going to write, what's the present situation where I'm finding myself having these reactions at the top, you're going to think through what is it today that tends to lead to that reaction. Cognitive behavioral therapy also has wonderful techniques to try to help you identify what is it today that's a listening or a pre- um, a pre-factor before the anxiety or depression or, you know, it's shame response, whatever it might be. And you try to write that down as thorough as you can. So we, for him, he said, it wasn't as evident at home 
that he was aware of at least. And instead he said it was really evident at work. He loves his work. He doesn't want to quit. He feels like it's what he's called to do, but yet there is a real struggle of feeling anxious, burnout, lots of stress, just chronically going, always checking his emails, feels like he's the only one doing anything and he can't rely on anybody else. And so Tom is definitely in a situation where he's in a reenactment. All that means is something internal is reenacting dynamics. And when that happens, that means the unconscious me is replicating something of my past without conscious me realizing, and yet it's filtering and constructing the reality that I'm perceiving everything. And then people respond to me, situations respond to me, and I'm hooking them into self-fulfilling prophecies where he's such a perfectionist. He's so in control. Uh, there's women on the spectrum as well. I just happened to use a male um, client example this time, but trust me, there's lots of women um, that can be just as controlling and micromanaging and difficult to please. And so people learn to not initiate. They learn to not lean into that space. And as a leader, then I'm like, well, gosh, I have to do it all. Nobody does anything. It's all up to me me. And it just confirms that existing belief, but not realizing you were a part of eliciting that response out of others. I'm going to say that again, because it's really important. It's called a hook where you believe something at an unconscious level, and then you start responding and correlating in life based on that belief. And then people do respond to you according to what you believed. And then you confirm, right? Confirmation bias that happened. I assumed they were incompetent and I'm the only one who does it right. And so I have to do everything. I have to pick up the slack. And so they're not necessarily empowering leaders. They're not necessarily affirming and encouraging and cultivating autonomy and innovation in their followers, because there's this belief system that I'm the only one who can be trusted. I'm the only one who needs to have control at all times. So this is kind of the present situation Tom was in. And then if you go to the other side of the triangle, the right side of the triangle, it doesn't really matter. You just pick a bottom side of that uh, triangle. And then you're going to write down what are the emotions? What are the beliefs that just keep ruminating and going on inside of me? And so a lot of times people have kind of a dominant emotion. So it may be irritation, frustration, sadness, um, annoyance, whatever it might be at the conscious level. And usually it's a hot emotion. Hot just means kind of a defender protector, that bowing up, kind of bowing up to protect myself type of an emotion. And many times we have a hard time acknowledging the more vulnerable, sad, weak, insecure, shame-oriented emotion. But other people are the inverse where they really connect with the shame and they have a hard time connecting with the anger. So just, you have to kind of know your psychological makeup. So what you want to do on the right side of that triangle is to say, what are the hot emotions, but also what's the soft underbelly of emotions attached to that present situation. Don't just write what's flattering or what makes sense or what's logical, write whatever comes up. It's just like this like trigger and this geyser of like whatever emotion. So for him, it was irritability, frustration, annoyance, anger. So all these really hot emotions. So I said, okay, let's try to go a little deeper. Your issue you came in for was anxiety. And yet here we are learning that there's actually quite an anger issue. So let's unpack because anger, 
and sad are actually the same emotion. They're just flip of the same coin. So we stay curious and I have him start kind of visualizing and going deeper and then recognizing, all right, I'm angry and annoyed and frustrated thinking everyone's incompetent. They can't do their job. It's always on me. I have to figure it out on my own. If we peel that back, what does that make you feel? And he started making connections, unsupported, alone, shame, insecure. What if I make the wrong decision? What if I mess up and I ruin everything? Pretty overwhelming feelings that are triggering that anger response. And now you're tapping into more of that root of anxiety. So now you go to the other bottom side of that triangle. So in our case, it would be the left side of that triangle. And now you're going to write down, okay, what other times have I felt similar emotions and had similar beliefs come up in my life? Not situation. And that's where most people get tripped up as they try to be linear and trying to make it make sense. They're like, but I've never been in this situation. It doesn't make sense that I would feel like this. I'm an adult. I know better. But I'm looking at emotion. I'm looking at the part of my soul that's getting triggered and reenacting based on the emotions being um, elicited, you know, kind of like a little landmine that is coming up and bringing it into the conscious mind. Human nature is really uncomfortable with pain. We don't want to go there. We want to avoid discomfort at all costs. And that's why we ruminate because if I stay in my brain and I make plans and I try to control and I decide, am I going to fire Jane and Jim and Gloria? You know, am I going to blah, 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 blah. I'm going to sue this person because those are things I can control versus the vulnerability of in reality, Tom was feeling alone, unsupported, confused, ashamed, afraid of making a wrong decision. So now we take that left corner and we start unpacking it. Okay. What are the earliest times you might have felt that? And again, you want to go to the earliest because that's that first imprint when the filter, the belief system was being created to the best you can. You don't have to be perfect, but just as early as you can, you try to unpack what other times have I felt that emotion? And so for him, he started to make connections. It took some time because it's not always super clear and organized. The unconscious mind's kind of slippery sometimes because of our defense mechanisms, but he was able to identify that because he looked up to his dad so much and he had veneered his father as the kind of quintessential Marlboro man that rugged, independent, powerful man. He's not emotional. He's not sensitive. He never loses his cool. He's got it together. Cool as a cucumber. And so as a boy, he had so looked up to his father that he wanted to be like him. And as a boy, he had a very tender heart, just like all humans, male and female. And he didn't know what to do with his sad or insecure or anger or shame. He didn't know what to do with the moments where he didn't feel qualified. He didn't feel adequate. He didn't know what to do with that. And he didn't feel like he could go to his dad and say, Hey dad, I kind of feel overwhelmed by this test, or I'm insecure about talking to this girl, or these boys said this to me today. And I don't really know how to handle that. He didn't have an open relationship where he felt comfortable to bring his vulnerability and weakness to his father. And so as a child, that meant he then disavowed, he denied all parts of him that were weak, bad, and he learned how to try to figure it out on his own, which created the feeling unsupported, 
alone, overwhelmed. I have to figure it out. It's dependent upon me because he didn't want to not be like the Marlboro man that his dad had constructed as a model. So growing up in order to identify with dad, which is a huge part of male and female child, right? We all try to identify with the male and female parts of our parents um, in the good and the bad. And we don't know how to discern what's healthy, what to keep, what not to keep. These are just kind of the introject, which just means taking in the model that they create. So this bigger than life father who never lost his cool or never had emotions, just always calm and logical and put one foot in front of the other, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, make the hard choice, be the effective leader, sacrifice yourself, all these incredible grit oriented beliefs that are helpful, but it wasn't balanced. It didn't create opportunity for this growing boy to take his questions to his dad. To be able to say, hey, dad, do you think I have what it takes? Are you proud of me? What do you think of me? When you, uh, you know, walk in the room and you see me, what happens inside of you versus just kind of the stoic, good father, not abusive, not distant, not disengaged. He was a father who showed up at every game. He was at every award, every practice, every ceremony. This is a good father, but it was a father who didn't know how to engage his son at that emotional level, at that attunement depth level of knowing and being known. So now today, my client who today at this point was still trying to be that quintessential man's man, cool, calm, collected. But when he was in situations like at work, especially as a CEO, feeling overwhelmed and not knowing all the answers and not feeling safe to be able to brainstorm and team it together, he just felt like he had to be the isolated ship, the stoic leader, and then give the vision. But when he felt out of control and insecure, those emotions from childhood triggered. And so you think of it like a little landmine or a vault, and now all that emotion start surfacing. He doesn't know that and shame doesn't feel good. It's a, it's an emotion we usually try to deny because it's a vulnerable emotion. So then what was expressed and said is a temper where he was, had a short temper. He was easily irritated. His, um, his people at work would describe him as kind of a good man, but don't get, don't cross him. Don't get on his bad side. Don't ask him too many questions. Come to him with solutions and not problems because he didn't like being put on the spot. The interesting thing is now as an adult, when he started to kind of deconstruct this idealized version of his father, he could now see actually his dad actually had a lot of anxiety. His dad had a lot of emotion and a very tender, soft-hearted, good-natured man, very proud of his son, very uh, supportive and wants the best for his family. But he, from his generation before, had never been told he was good and valuable and worthy and proud of and, and that it was okay to be weak and you're still a man. It's okay to be uh, vulnerable or not have the answers. It's okay to delegate. It's okay to ask for help. It doesn't diminish your masculinity in any capacity. And so for this individual, being able to now see his father as his dad had so constructed the version that made him feel safe, 
that he wasn't um, a loser, he wasn't weak, he wasn't, et cetera, that my client idealized his dad and then had done that for himself. He created the imposter syndrome to try to see himself as that veneer of ultimate leadership, ultimate masculinity, ultimate veneer of I am in control, I am stoic, I can handle every situation and never have a problem. While that sounds romanticized in leadership books, it's quintessential, makes people feel really good. It's also not authentic. And when we're not authentic, the imposter syndrome is chronically there. And as long as I feel like I'm in control, I'm making good decisions, everybody's respecting me, I'm fine. But the moment that I feel like, oh, dang, I don't know the answer. I'm overwhelmed. I wish they wouldn't come to me with problems. I wish they'd come with solutions. In that moment, that shame part of self that was never properly parented, never properly integrated into conscious awareness that it's safe to have flaws. It's safe to not have all the answers. It's safe to be relational and have equity. It doesn't mean you're a bad leader or you're incompetent or that you can't, um, you know, shepherd a team and be a visionary and a forerunner. It just means in this moment, I am made to need connection and to bounce ideas off other people and create space for their gifts. Male or female, many leaders feel this way, especially in parenting. A lot of um, families feel that way, where they feel like they're on the spot. They have to make the decision. They have to be respected. They have to create that veneer and maintain it at all costs. And I wouldn't have been able to take him to that place of recognizing and starting to unravel some of those core beliefs and emotions that were trapped inside if it hadn't been for that psychodynamic triangle of taking the present situation where he's going, I just have anxiety unaware that he actually had anxiety, anger, and shame, which was discovered through that right side of the triangle. And then he started doing 360s at work, anonymous surveys, so that people could give feedback. And as a leader, he had never invited that. He had never welcomed for his team to let them, to let him know his impact on others. And I recommend that as a leader, not for them to just, you know, tear you apart, but for people to anonymously be able to give constructive, positive and growth oriented feedback that you may be unaware of because you're in a position of power and influence and you don't know necessarily your impact on others. So we look at the child part of him that created that veneer. And in order to feel like he attached and he was good enough to bond and connect with his father, then he then disavowed all parts of self that he saw as weak, bad, vulnerable, and inconsistent with the image he was wanting to portray in life. Many of us do this. Your situation may be completely different. But it is helpful to go, what's the present situation on the top of the triangle? On the right side, writing, what are the emotions being elicited? And not just the hot emotion, but also the vulnerable emotion. And if your brain leans to vulnerable, sad, depressed, hopeless, scared, then also write the hot emotion. But I'm also irritated, frustrated, mad, angry, out of control. What are the other uh, facets of emotion that maybe you don't normally allow yourself to acknowledge. And then on the other side, you ask what times in my life have I felt similar emotions or beliefs? 
totally unrelated to the top of the triangle. It's not related situationally. It's related affectively or emotionally. And so when you do that, you can now start capturing, oh, there's core beliefs attached to that. Oh, there's a me that's set to make sure that I protect and keep that at play. When you can start unpacking it, now you can start breaking up that child view, which is very black and white, all or nothing thinking and starting to go, okay, those are thinking errors. I need to start seeing my dad as a whole, that he is a leader, that my mom is a leader. They're fantastic people, but they also were overcompensating in some areas of their own insecurity, fear of inadequacy, et cetera. And as an adult, my client can now see that his dad actually had tons of insecurity and anxiety that he had hidden behind that stoic Marlboro man facade. And so by not acknowledging that in himself, he didn't know how to acknowledge it in my client as a boy. And then that client didn't know how to acknowledge it in himself. And so then that's where I'll step in and you can do this for yourself. You can have someone else do it for you. And you can just start proclaiming a father's blessing over that part of your soul. So it might sound something like this on behalf of your father. I need to acknowledge that I was preoccupied trying to defend and protect myself that I was trying to be perfect and have the right image and be respected all the time, that I thought it was weak or bad leadership to show you vulnerability and insecurity in me. I am sorry that I did not create equal space in our relationship for leadership, where I lead and you follow, but also bending down at your level to ask you how you're feeling. And that's okay. And let's talk about that. And that happens to daddy sometimes too, son. It's okay. Or daughter. These are valid emotions. I understand it. It's okay. It doesn't diminish you as a male or a female. And I just honor you. And I bless you with a father's blessing to know who you are, whose you are. And all of you is welcome at the table. And when my client was able to receive that father's blessing for the parts of him, he thought unconsciously that were shameful, bad, weak, unmasculine, when he was able to now kind of reconnect that the defender protector part of him that had been denying and suppressing and trying to always have the, the facade that that part being able to say, Hey, this other part that's weak and vulnerable actually makes me more accessible more teachable, more humble, more relatable, which makes me a better leader in every sphere of life. Long gone are the days where leaders are these remote figureheads that are just all power, all authority. Humans today and always, but especially in this generation, you create loyal followers when you are relational, when you can be authentic, Obviously not needy and, and, you know, making people your therapist by any means, there's a, a broad spectrum that I'm not talking about, but at the level of humanity and seeing what's in them and saying, Hey, I've gone through that too. That's okay. That's normal. 
And when you create that margin and space for that person to feel resonated with, to feel seen and known and accepted in that while not diminishing your respect of them as a leader, a valuable team member, a family member, whatever capacity you have relationship with them, then they learn how to integrate that part of them. So I led my client in the protector part of him, the stoic imposter syndrome, that part then hugging and affirming the part of him that is relational, that is tender and soft and cares about feelings, his own and others. And now bringing that soft side of him that he was good at accessing at home, now bringing that into the workplace in a dynamic, fluid way. Again, he's not like weeping at the office, like super emotional. That would be an extreme that I'm not talking about. I'm just saying that healthy balance of all of him showing up and by doing so, by modeling, creating opportunity for other people at his workplace to feel like all of them can show up, even when they're not perfect, even when they made a mistake or they're having a bad day, all of that being fluidly brought back into relationship and still being respected and valued as a contributing member of a team or a family. Now that gives me a sense of all of me is valued here. And when you do that, you create very loyal teammates and family members. The coolest thing is his anxiety just subsided just naturally. We actually never really covert or uh, objectively worked on anxiety. We worked on, let's get to the root source of this internal turmoil that you're trying so hard to defend against your humanity, your vulnerability, your realness, that there's this anxiety that that's going to escape. And then there would be anger because you would associate this person's face or this situation with making you feel angry which is actually a diffuse responsibility issue, like external locus of control, where I'm blaming a person or a situation for something that's actually being elicited inside of me. When you find yourself getting triggered, and trigger doesn't necessarily have a little name tag and helpful like, hey, I'm being triggered. Sometimes the first step in working on these things is just recognizing, oh, I think I'm being triggered. Okay. Top of the triangle, what's the situation? Bottom right of the triangle, what emotions, what beliefs are coming up? Bottom left of the triangle, what other times through my life, even though situationally very different, have I felt similar feelings, beliefs, experiences? And now I can start unpacking it and playing with ideas and starting to recognize from a child age, much younger, more black and white thinking, lots of um, reasoning errors, that stage of development. What was I thinking and feeling back then? And now you can reintegrate that part of you and the protector part of you that I'm no longer defending against something I thought was bad, weak, not good, not acceptable. And then I can resolve that fear, that anxiety that that's going to pop up and burst out and everybody's going to see that I'm a, I'm a loser or I'm uh, inauthentic or I can't do it or I don't have what it takes, all that imposter syndrome stuff. If we clean that out, he no longer had a source of anxiety and his anxiety naturally remitted. And it's fascinating that when you deal with the unconscious uh, breach, the issue below the surface, then the brain is no longer sending signals, something feels off. 
something's not okay. Something could happen, something bad, something's out of control, something, right? It's like this little feedback loop saying, monitoring, something's not okay. But when you take the time to resolve it at that much deeper level and make peace with those parts of you and grieve whatever may be down there that you need to grieve, the soul goes, oh, it's resolved. And you think of it like a computer, all these minimized browser windows that you and I are walking around with. And it's like, we're just taking one browser window at a time, cataloging what's there, what emotion, clean that out, honor that emotion, grieve, whatever I need to do there, reject lies, and then X out of it. And when you X out or resolve an unconscious dynamic, the brain is no longer registering something's off, something's not okay, something's out of control. The brain is now going, oh, peace, restoration, cohesion, everything is settled, everything is calm. And the anxiety naturally remits because there's nothing telling that feedback loop, hey, something's off. His internal world is now based on, hey, I'm radically accepted with my flaws. When I don't know the answer, I am equally respected. I am a cared about leader and I care about others in their strength as much as in their weakness. And now he has noticed and received feedback in his corporation that the loyalty, the retention rate, the uh, stress levels of employees, everything is starting to just slowly improve because leadership, whether it's family or corporate or entrepreneurial or community leadership, whatever your role is, you are setting an environment, setting a tone, and then people feel like they have to relate with you based on the version that you're showing them versus you being totally authentically real, not inappropriate, not crying and making them your therapist, but just authentic showing up as a healthy person. You don't have to share all the details, the nitty gritty of your personal life by any means. But there's a felt sense of, do you allow yourself to be where you're at and still have self-esteem and still see worth and value in you instead of a temper or depression or helplessness or overeating or over drinking as a way to compensate for that stress? Because I feel X, Y, Z. If instead you start modeling, I radically accept myself in all of these different states, now you're able to work through that triangle, you're able to model that for others and create a culture, whether it's family or business or whatever your situation that's rested, that's not built on performance and creating a veneer that we all have to live up to, but a place where people are freed up from the anxious mind of fearing, you know, being exposed as incompetent and now being able to focus from the prefrontal cortex, which is where we lean into creativity and innovation, where you're a cutting edge institution or organization, rather than trailing behind because you're doing what's safe based on not wanting to fail, not wanting to be rejected or exposed as an imposter or whatever it might be. You today have great potential to change the environment around you. If you will take the time, to go through your own triangle, learn your own story, and start to connect with those parts of you that are getting triggered. 
I am so grateful for this season to be with you. And we're going to do several more episodes. So please stay tuned. And we look forward to seeing you at the next one. Hey friends, thanks for listening. We would love for you to get plugged in with the Unlock You community. So follow the links below and stay up to date with upcoming content, events, and groups. We are here to invest in you and tailor episodes around your interests. Post comments, and hey, if there are any specific topics you'd like to hear about, let us know so we can strategically build content that is meaningful to you. And will you share this podcast so we can invest into more amazing people? Be sure to hit subscribe so we can see you for the next episode.